Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for parenting complex kids in all different kinds of ways. I'm thrilled and excited today to welcome a very interesting, different, dynamic guest today, Anat Banyel, whom I met at ADHD Coaches Conference in 2017, earlier this year, and was just completely taken with her and her work, and I'm thrilled to, to share it with everybody. Anat, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you and your audience. Thank you. It's, it's truly a pleasure and a, and a privilege. I have to tell everybody about Anat a little bit. She is a, by training, she's a psychologist, she has a degree in statistics, and she's really been working with children with special needs for over 30 years. She's written two books, one of which is called Kids Beyond Limits, and all of the work she does is about harnessing the brain for positive change. That's what we're going to talk about today. I wanted to read you a quote about Anat by Michael Merzenich, who is the neuroscientist, who's the father of neuroplasticity, really, or the science around it. And in referencing Anat, he said it was a great wonder when he saw that Anat was working in parallel along a completely different path, that that she has defined almost exactly the same rules of harnessing our capacity for brain remodeling for the benefit of children and adults who need neurological help. He continued that Anat interprets them in practical, understandable human terms that should contribute richly to your own more enlightened parents grandparenting, parenting, grandparenting, and clinical intervention. So really what we're, we're going to talk about in, in this interview and actually in, the, in, a, in a subsequent interview, because we're going to continue this, are what is known in the, around the world as the Anat Banyal method of neuromovement. Um, and it's, today we're going to start talking about the nine essentials of neuromovement for positive brain change. So Anat, welcome again. Thank you for being here. And let's dive in. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, absolutely, of course, ask me any question or any clarification at any minute. Great. Uh, So I think in order to understand the essentials and why they work and why they're actually so important, I'd like to say just a few words about the brain itself. Great. And the brain can be understood as an information system. So unlike, you know, we can think about our arms and legs and body in terms of the, the movement and its operation like a mechanical system, 
and we sort of have a greater familiarity working with and managing and controlling and uh, the mechanical systems around us, like moving a chair from point one to, to point B or moving our own body from point to point. The brain operates as an information system, which is more elusive uh, for uh, normally. And one of them, so the question is, what's the source of information? So if we just say, okay, it's an information system, it's kind of like a computer or whatever. And we say, what's the source of information? And it's really important to understand that the source of information for the brain is perception of differences. It's only by perceiving one thing compared to another that this is different than that. So if I look at the colors, if I don't see the difference between red and blue, I don't have red and blue. I have to see differences to have color, to see differences, perceive differences between colors. Same thing with sound. If I don't hear differences in sounds, I don't hear the sounds. I can't play music. I can't sing. I probably cannot understand language. In, in the parlance of neuroscience and, and information systems, it's called signal-to-noise ratio. So many of the children that we, you know, you work with the ADHD and, and other children, I work with, right. with that and I work with autism and I work also with other conditions like cerebral palsy and so on. The fundamental bottom line of what that their the child brain needs to do needs to do is to be able to notice differences so it can learn and adjust and figure out how to operate whatever system we're talking about. It can be learning to use an arm after you know if they were born with a stroke, or learning to understand language if it's an autistic kid, or actually being able to sit and look you know, in a classroom and actually read and, and be able to notice and stay with it. And that is really, really important to understand because many of those children look like they are like you and me, like the person who's trying to help them, for example. But their reality, what they actually see, hear, feel, notice is different. So you can say to a child, you know, have an inside voice, and they don't know, even if they understand the words they have, or hear the words, they don't know what you're talking about. They mm -hmm. literally don't know. And I think that's, by the way, where some of the really lost opportunities and biggest mistakes are done in intervention with those kids, because they just get more and more agitated and learn that they're a failure and all that kind of stuff. So the essentials of my... Well, so, so I just want to recap a little bit what I'm hearing to, so that we're really clear as you begin to move into the essentials. What I heard was that the brain is an information system and it really operates on recognizing differences. And so as we're working with these broad range of complex kids, we need to understand the context that their brain operates under. So it's not just enough to give them a direction or a system or a structure, but to understand how their brain is working so that we can help them learn to begin to notice and identify differences. Is that accurate? Well, it's almost perfect, which is very impressive. I love how you do it. <laughs> the, very last, the very last part, I will switch the order. We help the brain perceive differences so that they learn. Great. So that they can learn. Great. So the perception of differences is, is primary before. Now, the brain gets better at perceiving differences. So you can even say that the brain learns to, be, to, to perceive differences, but mm -hmm. actually it's built to perceive differences. You are just uh, potentiated to be better at its own nature. 
So it's, right. it's the is focusing on the perception of differences enables us to teach them how to process information that's coming into them. And no, we don't teach them how to process information. We give their, we, we give, uh, you see what you say, the, the more common parallels about this. What I'm mm -hmm. doing is a, a subtle shift here, but it's actually a very, very important one. It's a, mm -hmm. We get the brain to work better. So think about it for a moment like a heart. And I love our conversation right now because I think it's very important and it's very helpful to the listener. Exactly. Because this is where most people kind of tend to get lost into what they already are used to hearing and thinking. Think of the heart. The, the heart is built to contract and decontract, contract, decontract, pump uh, the blood, right? Mm -hmm. When the heart is not doing its job well enough, we don't think about teaching the heart to do its job. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about creating the conditions, providing it with nutrition or, you know, whatever we need to provide it with. To get, you know, even just give it an electric, little electric shock to, to wake it up so it will go back to doing its job, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So what I'm talking about here with the brain is the conditions that when we provide them to the child, the brain spontaneously begins working better. Mm-hmm. So it's like helping to create a well-oiled machine. And, uh, it is facilitating the brain yeah, working it, better. It's a, it's about making, waking up, creating conditions where the brain is sort of wakes up to its own nature to do right. what it's built to do from birth. Brilliant. This is what allows for learning. Without that, learning will not happen. Or the learning we want to happen won't happen. Something is always learned, but the question is what? And so if you take a stuff. child... That, that does not understand what numbers are for, and the whole thing is one big soup in their, in their head, right? Mm -hmm. And you keep giving them uh, basic math problems over and over again. That child learns that they, that they are uh, not good at, at math, right? Mm -hmm. Right. They learn that much. They get uh, anxious. They hold their breath. They start avoiding any time somebody tries to teach them math. They start looking at the ceiling or they get agitated or whatever you can see. So it's really the nine essentials are about waking up the brain to be doing what it's built to do, which is perceive difference, generate information, and organize, use the information to learn, to organize new, you know, underlying neural networks, blah, blah, blah. Great. Is that a little clear? That's brilliant. Yes. And let's, so, so, and we're at about 10 minutes. <laughs> Believe it or not, we're already halfway through. So let's get started well, and see what you, but I think the foundation okay. is critical. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, because the rest it just becomes kind of like trying to remember to do something and not quite knowing what it is that you're doing. So, yeah, okay. Great. So, I'm a big believer in people's intelligence. I think it's really very powerful so, to activate it. So, anyway, so the first essential, which is kind of like the, the godmother and godfather and parents of all the essentials, is movement with attention. So, I'm going to break it into two parts, and then I'm going to put them back together. Movement, I say, that I coined that, is the language of the brain. Movement drives the development of the brain through the initial random movements, I mean, starting actually in utero, but when the, after the baby is born. It's the movement, those random movements, they're not voluntary movements yet, give the, the child a lot of sensory and external world experiences, right? The, the arm moves and it hits against something or you, you whatever. There's lots and lots of permutations of movement which are the basis from which the brain literally gets apprenticed. That means the formation of the connections and, and the neural networks. Movement 
alone. And that is what I discovered working with thousands of adults and training people, you know, with long training programs to become protection and so on, and also working with the children, is that movement that is done without the attention of the person that's moving to what they feel as they move. And it's very central, what they feel in themselves as they move, because movement generates sensations. If they don't pay attention to that, there is close to zero learning, if any. Mm-hmm. And that has been done research, Michael Merzenich, that was the early research that was brilliant, where he showed that when movement is done without attention, they cannot detect uh, changes in the mapping in the brain. That means the connections that are formed between the part that's moving to the brain, which is what happens as we learn and grow, they couldn't detect the difference. Mm-hmm. But when they got the, they did it with monkeys, they got the monkey to pay attention to what they feel, to pay notice that they're moving and pay attention to it. The changes were very, very dramatic. And other set of research estimates the changes, 1.8 million new connections per second. Wow. So you go from roughly zero to 1.8 million new connections per second. So movement alone, so for instance, I work with children, both can be kids with ADHD or autism or can be children with, like I said, you know, specific or own policy or whatnot, that they, people try to help them move better or so on and, and, and they don't get better and sometimes they actually get worse because the limitations get entrenched in. Mm-hmm. Right. What I discovered that if I move the child in a way, in a way that gets them to notice that they're being moved and to actually like what they feel, they just become brilliant. They just change. Mm-hmm. The rapidity of change is remarkable. And I'll say it in the end where people can see some of it in videos. Right. The, uh, the other, so movement with attention and the next the three essentials that I'm going to give very quickly ensure the attention to what you the child feels as they move. Right. So the next essential is slow. And slow, again, and very often children, you like a lot of the kids you work with, they're very quick. You know, they have an attention deficit, right? And they tend to move quickly, which is it's sort of a vicious circle. So they yes. don't pay attention, so they don't feel, and they don't feel they don't pay attention. So what, there are always opportunities, even if it's for a fraction of a second, to slow the action. But, to, mm-hmm. but we don't go like a kid that's jumping off the wall and we talk real slow because it will drive them crazy. They won't know what to do with it and it won't work. But if you take a child that's moving fast, you actually maybe get it to move. It depends on the child, the age, the comprehension, but you can even ask them to move faster. Mm-hmm. And then... And you turn it so you make it intentional. Then you ask them to move even faster and you can join them. And you, it can be fun. But then once they moved faster than they were moving, what did you do? You created a difference for mm-hmm. them. And then you say, and now can you move a little slower like you moved before? And then you ask them immediately to move faster. And then you go slower and say, so that they know what slower and faster is. Because many of those kids don't even know what it means to slow down. They literally don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they have a problem. They've never perceived the difference clearly enough to be able to, to generate it themselves. And there are many ways to in, in, invite moments, seconds, because the brain changes with such speed when it gets what it needs. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not like trying to contain them for half an hour to be slow. Get them to be slow for 10 seconds, for five seconds. So they feel the difference. The moment right. they feel different, you'll be amazed at the changes. The next essential, I'm just like driving fast. Right, because we only have a few minutes left, so we're going to get through three in this interview, and then we'll move on. So that's great. You're doing okay. great. The next <laughs> one is reducing, I'll give two. The next one is reducing the force. So always reduce the force, the intensity of the sound, the light, the emotional intensity, the whole thing, just the physical intensity, if you help the child move. Because when we reduce the intensity of the stimulation, our ability to feel what's going on and to perceive differences grows in a proportion, in opposite proportion. The less force, the more sensitive we are and the more the brain can perceive differences. And that is another place that there's just across the board mistake because when the child doesn't get it, people just do more and more intense and more repetitions and right. more insistence and and all that kind of stuff, which is a form of force that deadens the brain. It makes the brain stupid. And you can take a a brain and make it brilliant just by doing that. And I think that's about as much time as there is for this interview, right? Well, just about. So so let's just sort of see if I got what you said and recap that. So so essential one is movement with attention. And, you know, in in our realm, we might say what we pay attention to grows, right? It's, It's bringing their attention to the process of movement and their awareness mm, of it. I have to make a little correction. I Please. that it takes three days of uh, training for me or seminar for people to get it. It's attention to what the child feels. So you can give right. the child the task. You can tell them, go from A to B, they jump around right leg, left leg, and say, what does it feel like? What do you feel? Is there more pressure on the foot, less pressure on the foot? Okay. You guide for attention to what we feel. The task is only the context. Right. So we're raising awareness to their awareness to their feeling of movement. Yes. Drop the word awareness. Forget awareness. Just guide their attention. I'll explain it next time we have an interview. Okay. It it creates a layer that is already too far ahead. You just say, what do you feel? Do you feel taller, shorter? Is it a little easier to do it like this or is it a little harder to do it like this? Okay. You just get them to feel as they move. Great. Even if they're just writing a word on the paper, learning how to write. You say, Oh, when you hold it like this, is it easier? Or when you hold it like this, does it feel easier or harder? You guide them to start knowing what they feel. Feel. Experiencing their feelings. Awareness is later on. Okay. It's it's another layer. Okay. Okay. And so then step two is to shift slow their movements. Again, not for a long period of time, but to actually shift their experience of speed relation to movement. Is that correct? Yeah, but you're very academic. I mean, it's just like slow them down. Slow them down. But in order to slow them down, uh, you know, run them forward faster. I mean, run, I don't mean like necessarily running. But you can say, you know, if they write, try to teach them to write. I'll stay with this example. And they just move their hand really fast. Oh, my God, you're moving so fast. Can you move faster? Right. You create the opportunity for a perception of difference. The moment the brain perceives that between the faster and slower, then it can go slower and slower. And actually, they, you need to slow the brain down because fast, we can only do what we already know. To do something new, we have to go slow. Okay. It's just how the brain is built. Okay. okay? Now, and I have to confess that I didn't quite understand number three, reducing the force. Okay. 
So give me an example from your side of working with a child with whatever, just from your last day or something. Just give me an example, and I'll, I'll work with that. Well, we have lots of teenagers in our community who are, you know, vying for independence and wanting to do things on their own but, but don't really yet have the organizational skills or, or know the, the capacity to do it independently. Is that relevant? It is relevant, but it's very general. So I am trying to imagine a... a, a, a Yeah, I mean, that gets to, I'll give you an example. Any of those teenagers want to do sports better or want to do something better, specific? Can you be a little more specific? Well, it's probably wanting to do, to do school better. That's, you know, whether they wanting want to, to the, kid, the parents want them to do better at school, for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I'll give an example, and we can come back to it next interview, because okay. when we shift to talking about cognitive functioning, it's the same rules, it's the same, uh, the same brain, the same rules, but uh, it'll take a little bit longer. So Great. let's say if somebody wants to throw hoops, right, and they kind of hold the ball and they jump as hard as they can and they, you know, smack their arm up and try to hit it, right? And, mm -hmm. and they're kind of mediocre at it, and they want to get better. And I take them and I say, okay. I mean, there's other things I'll do at the same time, but I say, okay. Now hold the ball and just imagine the hoop is uh, lowered down to being, uh, you know, three feet tall. Or I put the hoop at three feet tall, right? Mm -hmm. And I say, now hold the ball and throw it so lightly that it won't even reach the hoop. Just, and, and even less, so it sort of will fall on your foot. So I get them to start moving with a whole lot less effort. And then I say to them, move it, they do it from this direction. That, that's the variation. That's the next essential that goes with it. But, and then I say, now do it a little harder. Now do it so it goes above it. And then I bring the hoop a little higher. I'm just making up something here, right? Mm -hmm. But I say, but now do it really hard and see how it goes. Of course, it will overshoot the, the hoop, right? right? Now do it really light that it doesn't. And I get them to figure out the minimum amount of effort that it takes to do it. And when you reduce Got the it. force, you start, the brain starts feeling what is going on. Mm -hmm. That's the information. Got so it. slowing down gets the brain to notice what's going on. Slowing down, uh, reducing the force does the exact same thing. And most people try to learn to do things under very intensities that are way too high. So they get a brain that doesn't perceive distinctions. You know, the really brilliant geniuses you know what they do they perceive distinctions none of us even see when it's in front of our eyes or ears or whatever right okay all right i need to i need to stop us here because we are well over time and i want to make sure that you give people an opportunity to find out more about you and the work that you do and one of the things i didn't Absolutely. mention in your the introduction is that you're also training practitioners who collaborate with you and you teach workshops all around the country and all around the world so You know, I know that you've got a, a training program for parents that's unfling. Where would you want to direct people um, at this point to find out more information yeah. about so, you? So I have training, I have practitioner training programs for people who do my work. And then we're just coming out for the first time with a five-day workshop where we, 24 families, half the day with just adults and then the other half with their children, learn, teaching them how to use the essentials in real time and real life. And the place to go and find every, and that, everything about that is my website, and it's www.anatbanielmethod.com, A-N-A-T-B-A-N-I-E-L, method, M-E-T-H-O-D, 
www.thelovelyfriendship.com. And thank you so much. It was just oh, you're so welcome. To talk with you. Oh, is it the light? Yeah. And, and I just want to let everybody know we are not stopping here because we've only gotten through three of the nine essentials. So I want to thank you, Anat, for being here and, and for sharing this wisdom with our community. We're going to have this to be continued in, in a subsequent interview. So everybody who's listening, go ahead and get ready to click on the next one as soon as it's available. Um, and I want to acknowledge the parents who are here and the professionals who are here and who are listening and who are engaging in this process. Thank you for your time and your commitment. It truly does make a difference, and um, I'm more grateful for your attention. For any more resources, you can find out more about Anat at the anatbanielmethod.com, and that link is available on our website, on her bio at impactadhd.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.